Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm your host, theater critic Lily Janik. Earlier this year, I got an email from Rob Reddy, who's the artistic director at Piano Fight, saying he wanted to have an honest conversation about wages in comedy. This was inspired in part by an ongoing conflict at Upright Citizens Brigade, the bi-coastal comedy club and school co-founded by Amy Poehler and three others. Some of its performers have been saying they should get paid to perform, especially after they've forked over hundreds of dollars for classes. What's strange, Reddy wrote to me in his email, is that the convos about pay are very surface-level discussions that talk about the issue like it's black and white when it's really very gray. So he and I brought together folks from across the comedy scene in the Bay. Allison Page, artistic director of Killing My Lobster, Max McCall, a founder of Endgames Improv, and performer Phil Wong, who's worked with both KML and Endgames in addition to doing stand-up and regional theater. Today, we talk about those gray areas and how they play out locally. Let's take it away. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So welcome, everyone. I am joined here today by Max of Endgames Improv. Hello. Rob Reddy of Piano Fight. Hi, thanks for having us. Allison Page of Killing My Lobster. Hello. And Phil Wong, actor, sketch comedy performer, stand-up performer, performer at large. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Max didn't get a last name. Max McCall. Oh, gosh. That's good. You're, you're, you're That's just good. like first name basis only. So we're here today in part to talk about Upright Citizens Brigade, which is this sketch comedy and improv, like they offer classes and performances. They have four locations in New York and L.A. Oh, except they just closed one in New York. Yep. And Rob, could you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Um, and I should caveat this with, you know, I've never worked, I've never done a show with them, I've never worked for them, I've never whatever. Um, but this is just something that I kind of pay attention to because at this point UCB is like a, a really huge comedy company, um, if not, you know, one of the biggest, it's one of the biggest in the country. And yeah. so what kind of happens with them is important has ripple effects and is important to, I would say, like the rest of the industry. comedy. Yeah, the yeah. comedy industry, the comedy community, whatever you want to call it. And so essentially there's been this debate uh, for a long time in within UCB about whether or not they should pay uh, their performers. Uh, what's interesting about that debate is that they do pay – uh, you know, their admin staff, they pay their theater technicians, they actually pay all their touring performers. And who they don't pay is, I guess, the folks who are performing at their New York and LA venues um, for those shows. The improv teams. The different house teams who have different shows, yeah, going on over there. And there's, there's a lot of those folks. And in fact, many of them are paying coaches to be a part of that uh, performance experience. They have to pay in order to have someone coach them, and they're required to have coaches. I think they've loosened that restriction up 
in recent recently. Years. Yeah, but yeah. You you have to pay like four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, like to take the class to even be able to audition. Four hundred, five hundred each. Yeah. yeah, and then there are like four series of classes, and then yeah. you can audition. Yeah. Every, every time I see it get talked about, either uh, you know online or kind of even briefly amongst like friends it's always a very kind of black and white one-sided conversation from both perspectives right so can we can we get the black and the white the, what do you hear on the on the performer side it's like of course you should pay artists all the time they're working it's labor what are you doing um, mm-hmm. it's a moral issue on the other side it's like it's a moral issue <laughs> we need you know, performers need stage time. We're offering a service. They're learning. They're students. What I kind of just see is that there's not a there isn't a ton of nuanced conversation. And when we're we're talking about art, which is like this inherently not capitalist thing, and we're doing it in an extremely capitalist society, <laughs> and so it just muddies the muddies the whole conversation. I thought it'd be you know kind of interesting to just get all the biggest comedy theaters in SF. And you know, and also a and killer performer, and also Phil, and Phil, <laughs> and Phil, <laughs> and uh, and just see like see what everybody thought about it, and yeah. see because there is a big debate happening in New York. There is a big debate happening in Chicago, in LA, with uh, tons of different groups. So maybe let's, uh, if you guys don't mind, get everybody's cards on the table. Like, do you pay your performers? Um, how much? Under what circumstances? And like. How do you think about that? Like, what's the rationale behind? And uh, Phil, yeah. uh, <laughs> when do you get paid when you're doing uh, sketch comedy, stand-up? And, like, how do you feel about that? Uh, I'll bet you don't want to get paid less than you currently do. <laughs> oh, oh, no. No, I don't. <laughs> I would very much not like that. <laughs> Max, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, at the moment we don't pay any of our performers for performing and I largely like that is us slowly trying to reach a state of having enough cash inflow to do maybe that someday. Uh, the model for doing that is interesting. At the moment we're still a for-profit company and so uh, how we could pay people other than minimum wage for hours worked is an interesting uh, legal conversation that we need to have. We I, we definitely believe that we would like to. We currently pay all of our teachers. We pay a stage manager at every show. Uh, we do occasionally pay people for corporate or private gigs, which I think are at a higher premium. We keep our ticket prices really low. Our weekday shows are $5. Our weekend shows are $10. We only have a single $15 show on Fridays. Uh, and we're trying to figure out the right way to do that you know at the same time one of our values is keeping those tickets affordable and accessible to everyone Uh, we also give away a lot of those tickets every student gets in for free um, and other members of our staff can get into shows for free as well so building that up is interesting we've talked about whether it's right to make a decision to pay some of the performers and not others depending on the success of the show in a lot of cases the people performing are not directly Uh, associated with the company. They're independent teams who have just, you know, asked to do a show and we give them a space to do a show. And given that most of the shows don't even break even, (laughs) it's sort of a moot point at that point. I think, you know, I mean, that's what, that's I think where a lot of these shades of gray Rob is talking about come into it is like for our house team that performs on Friday at nine and we charge $15 a ticket and we sell it out every week. What is that? I think that's substantively different than what we might say about a Tuesday 8 p.m. show 
where you know the average audience size is 12 or 15 people and legally speaking we don't have a ton of options to pay people differently for those different things so uh, we're sort of just trying to figure that out in the long run. Allison, what's it look like at KML? In many ways, it's so interesting to hear that because I don't think we get, like, our companies get together to chat a lot. We should, but, you know, we're yeah. busy and tired. Yeah. So in many ways, we're the other side of that. So we are a nonprofit, which is an important piece of all of this. And we pay everyone who works on all of our shows, which is on average between 16 to 20 people they get paid differently based on their position so actors get whatever the stipend is for that particular show but it's not always the same and the writers get paid as well as a director stage manager choreographer vocal coach photographer all those people but our system's quite different from what Max is talking about with Endgames because we don't have the sheer number of performances that they have. So that in itself is uh, quite different. Can Max, can you give us a sense of like how many performances we're talking about from Endgames? Yeah, um, we have shows, comes out to like 15 to 20 shows a week sometimes. And Allison, sometimes KML doesn't even have a show. Right. Oh. So our productions are usually like one at a time. Yeah. And then they will run for however many weeks we decide to run them for, sometimes in the same location, sometimes in multiple locations. The, the moral of the story is everyone on all of our shows gets paid. It just depends on what the show is. We have kind of an average for what you would call like a regular production. What what might that range be? Yes. Yeah, so I would say for a, a typical show, an irregular run KML show, which means the process is probably, it's about two to two and a half weeks of writers meetings, which the actors attend, two weeks of rehearsals, and then two to three weeks of performances uh, is between 425 and 475. For the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. And a little less if it's a more truncated like um, process, like Sketchfest. Yeah, Sketchfest is its own uh, whole other thing. Phil, what are like, what are the different rates at which you might get paid for different kinds of appearances, and like how how do you think about that, and like whether you'll take a gig or not? Yeah, I mean, most of my recent comedy work has been with KML, so every time I work with them, I I kind of know that I'm gonna get paid something at the end uh, but for years a few little while ago I was doing stand-up where there's different producers different people who run different kinds of shows and stuff like that and you never know if you're gonna get you know you never promised anything at the beginning oh really and you never know uh, if you're gonna get anything at the end and then sometimes it's a fun surprise if the producer comes up to you and hands you like 80 bucks and it's like oh that, that's for me and they're like yeah that's for for how many people you brought to the show and it's like oh okay there's this there's this thing um that a lot of stand-up producers do like they're they're bringers where um you have to bring a certain number of people to the show in order to like essentially participate in the show and get paid for the show and I was doing a lot of those shows for a while and I realized that like more people I brought I more people more I was getting paid and the less 
people I brought, the less I was getting paid. So I was annoying my friends constantly on social media, trying to get them to come to my performances and stuff like that. So and you after were that a while, guy. I was that guy. And after a while, we're all that um, guy. yeah, we're yeah. all that guy. We're all that guy. <laughs> but as we know from being that guy, after a while, that that curve kind of peters out, oh, yeah. where people are like, God, he's inviting me to this thing again. Petered out like ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this this was all when I was first starting out, and it was very like, oh, cool, I'm having fun, you know, doing uh, do headliners and stuff like that. And then I kind of I kind of fell off doing stand up uh, for a while when I was I, I think I think I, I bombed really badly once <laughs> and I uh, wanted to crawl into a hole and die. And then I got back the next day and did the same set and it was fine. And I was like, I don't like that feeling of <laughs> 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 like not knowing if it's gonna land or not. Um, and so I, I didn't do it for a while, and now I, I kind of, I kind of am a hobbyist in that in that sense of like every once in a while I'll go back and, you know, do an open mic or something like that. But um, since then, most of the comedy I've been doing is with um, KML, and recently actually I've taken classes with with End Games and done some some jams with them and stuff, and that's been really fun. But that's all really I kind of consider training for myself and just fun. I'll go to the jam and just, yeah. you know. Have a good time with people, play around. Mr. Reddy, what's the situation at Piano Fight? Yeah, so Piano Fight's probably somewhere in the middle, and and I would say probably more complicated, just because there's a there's we operate a venue, and then we also produce our own shows, and there's kind of different uh, ways to slice deals and pay for both of those. Um, so you know, for our own shows, we the kind of rule of thumb is that we always try to pay people something. A lot of the stuff that we produce is all kind of low barrier to entry things. So, you know, you don't need to, you can roll into an audition without a headshot, a resume or a, or a monologue and still audition. Um, you don't need to spend 20, 40, 50 bucks on a submission fee to send us a script to come on as a director. You pretty much just have to send us a, an email with some kind of resume and be like, hey, I'm not crazy, and I'm responsible, and we'll go. <laughs> Maybe you could be crazy. Yeah. Are you crazy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so most of the time it works out. We usually try to pay people uh, something. So, for example, with something like Pint Size Plays, which is essentially free slash suggested donation uh, theater in our bar on Monday nights, uh, we basically take the pot of whatever gets... Um, donated over the course of four shows and we just split that between everybody who made the show so you know actors usually get paid a little higher because they have to travel for rehearsals and for um, performances and then directors are a little bit below that and then writers are a little bit below that largely because of part tickets you know and parking tickets but even that is like you know on a really good pint size maybe people are walking with like 50 bucks for a four show run that you know has maybe three rehearsals three or four rehearsals then there's other shows where we actually don't pay pay folks anything uh, except for like short-lived as a competition where the winner gets paid and that's it <laughs> and there's you know 200 artists involved so like the winner the five people five of 200 are going to get paid that's something that if we could raise more money for, we would absolutely pay out kind of, you know, at least round winners and and or give everybody a budget to start out. 
which hopefully we'll get there and get that built. And then there's other projects that we just do that, you know, where it's like, okay, we know our New Year's party is going to be a big event. We know it's going to, you know, do X amount in revenue. So I can just say, hey, like, Phil, I want you to do uh, a 20-minute stand-up set and I'll pay you 120 bucks, you know, or 200 bucks or whatever it is. Or Max, you're a DJ. Here's $400. Thank you. Um, I just pictured you in a great DJ outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this may be a change of career. <laughs> so there's like stuff like that where it just kind of varies. And then the other kind of flavor of it too is like if somebody, so let's say somebody comes in for like pint-sized or short-lived or something where they have like zero experience and they, or a little bit of experience, you know, maybe they've taken an Endgames class or a KML class or something like that, but they don't have like an immediate way to kind of get on stage necessarily. They can kind of get involved with us at this kind of low level and then once you're kind of involved in some way and we kind of know who you are right and you're like oh yeah you're not crazy you're not you know a bad person um, and you're committed then it's like they can pitch a show and basically do some kind of rental co-pro deal right where they're essentially acting as a business under their under themselves interacting with another business aka the venue so uh, producer a rents the theater for X amount of dollars that comes with these services, box office, tech, etc. Then producer A goes out and markets the show, pushes as sells as many tickets as possible, and then they keep their ticket sales after their expenses, which is essentially rent. And that's where our more like I would say like our more pro folks, like our more professional type folks are who are at that point in their careers, like, that's where they kind of live in terms of, Mm. you know. So, like, David Gerard is a magician who's amazing and goes every other Wednesday, and, you know, it's one guy one night, and he sells his show out like clockwork. He probably, you know, I mean, I don't want to blow up his money, but he's, like, doing well, you know what I mean? Like, he's, it's not nothing. It's not 50 bucks a show. Right. Well, so first of all, I just want to thank all you guys for putting that out there. Um, You know, I feel like if I were an 18-year-old kid and was like, God, I want to get into performance, but I have no idea how or, like, what it's like or what I might actually get out of it, I... I think what you guys just said was very informative. <laughs> well, normally we just keep it all a secret. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am hoarding all my knowledge. But so when this question comes up of whether folks who perform comedy, improv, stand-up should get paid, what frustrates you about how that discussion usually goes? What do you think gets lost? I think it's interesting. I, I mean, we haven't had a ton of conversations about it within our community. I think um, people are aware that like the level that we're operating at is very amateur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, improv is also different, and I think this bleeds into the UCB debate a lot too. In that, like you know, when you put on a show, Allison, mm-hmm. you're doing like your best to make the show very specific and purposeful, and it has writers, it mm-hmm. has directors. Whereas you know, in a lot of cases, an improv show at End Games is oh, these eight people really like each other and they just want to get on stage and try to be funny for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, like, a different level of investment in that. And even, like, to compare it to, you know, what you're saying, Rob, like, when an independent team of improvisers, whether they're trained by end games or coming from anywhere else, puts a show on with us, it is almost similar to the, like, business-to-business relationship mm-hmm. that you have for rentals. But rather than doing a rental, we just 
give people the space and we handle everything and what ticket sales do come in goes back into you know maintaining the theater running this theater renting so, space so do you feel like the reason why it hasn't come up as much within your community is that your your performers the folks who want to get on stage for half an hour and just try something it's that they have that understanding with you like there's some how like some tacit shared knowledge like oh this is what this is for i think a very big difference between our situation and what's happening at ucb is that the people who come to us and actually want to be professional performers and actors go somewhere else to do that eventually that in san francisco most of our uh, regular performers, the people who've been doing it the longest, myself included, have day jobs doing something else. And so for them, there's no inherent need to be paid as a performer or even desire to be paid as a performer. It's a fun resume builder and activity and hobby. Um, I think there's an interesting difference. This plays into what I was saying before about like how do we treat different kinds of performers at our theater is something we talk about. And, and for a lot of people, it is a, a hobbyist mentality. Um, people will take the classes. They'll be surprised at how much fun they have doing it. They'll maybe even be surprised at the fact that they can get on stage at all to perform in a regular show, you know, when they're done with that learning period. And at that point, we'll sort of just do it until it doesn't work with their schedule or their life, and they'll move on. Mm-hmm. And some of them will go, I absolutely love this. I'm moving to Los Angeles. See ya. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of definitely, I think, I think the what you were kind of mentioning about like you haven't heard the conversation come up a ton. I think is pretty accurate, and I think it's also partly because like we're the people who have to make those decisions, mm-hmm. and so that conversation I think actually does happen relatively regularly, but maybe not with us. And I know, and I can think of some interactions I've had and some people that I know who. Uh, yeah, like they have moved to L.A. or, you know, um, something like that. But it's like the conversation is there and I think happening whether or not we necessarily hear it from from our folks. And even though that I, I would still agree that's probably the lion's share of the folks are probably don't care, right? Like they probably don't really give – it was like, oh, it would be nice to like make some beer money from this fun thing that I do. Nobody ever turns down pay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, how many times – I've, you... I've had people try to do that before. Whoa. Yeah, yeah and which yeah, I don't – I which I don't accept. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, wow. They, Why not? Oh, because I feel strongly about the choices that have been made before a show ever – you know, sees the light of day or the people are ever chosen for it. The choices that were made about what we're giving them, why we're giving them that, how much time we're taking, what we expect from them in return. And I really want that value to be seen by them and also by us. And if they turn around and like give a donation on our, we have two big fundraising events a year again because we're a nonprofit. If they want to then turn around and on Giving Tuesday or at our fundraising event choose to donate to us, they can and I'll accept that. But like people have to take their checks when their checks come in. (laughs) I don't want, yeah, I never want anyone to feel like they would do something like that and then regret it or have mixed feelings about it or expect something about that relationship to change based on the fact that they chose not to take the money. Oh, I see. Yeah, it gets complicated, I feel like, and I just want people to be like, great, cool, I got 
pay for this. Yeah, I was going to be like, what gets lost if somebody gives the check back? But maybe it, does it cheapen it for everyone else who takes the check? I don't know if it does or not, or if this is mostly like a psychological thing on my part, but I just, I wouldn't want anyone to think that I would want them to do that, and I wouldn't want them to do that trying to establish some kind of change in the relationship between us and them, you know? Like, I just want people to be there for what they're there for, be really appreciated and taken care of while they are there, and then paid for that, and then go, cool, great. And then they can make a decision about whether they want to keep doing that or not, or whether Mm -hmm. if ultimately they feel like supporting us, um, you know, by making donations or not. Some people do, some people don't. Some people do one year. Maybe they don't have as much money the next year, and they don't. Uh, It's... It's a real range of options, but yeah. I think there are a lot of theater companies and uh, other companies out there that kind of prey on that idea of like people who are like, oh, I don't, I don't need this money. Give it back to the company to do whatever they want. Yeah. Oh, you Hard do pass. see that a lot. Um, well, I remember when I was first, because like, I don't just do comedy. I do a lot of regional theater and stuff. And when I was first starting out, there is a company that I will not name that I went into the audition for and I remember looking at the bottom of the audition sheet and it's saying something to the effect of um, would you like to be paid for this production $100 like A $100 B $75 give 25 of this to the company to keep you know to make the show better $50 give $50 of this to the company to make the show even better than that and so then at the very idea. bottom like yeah. zero because I love this like so much I'm, I live right next to the theater yeah, and I, I don't need most, any of that so I, I don't think they yeah. do this anymore but I remember seeing that and being like a hundred and also <laughs> what <laughs> Is, uh, what are you talking about like it's zero dollars give it to the no <laughs> yeah it, that feels too much like pledging allegiance to an organization or yeah. something especially but. when you're auditioning then it feels like what you say is part of whether you get cast or not. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the people who were auditioning for that company were just getting out into the world and just like, oh, I gotta impress these people and stuff like that. And maybe this is the way is to not take right. any money. Like they have no leverage, no power. In yeah. that right. And maybe they would be willing to do something like that in the beginning. But if you cut to like three years later, is that person still there? If that person is still there, are they still doing that and like not taking their pay and also how do they feel about that and how yeah. do they feel about the company over time because anyone or most people I think are willing to do certain things for free or um, for you know very low pay to a certain extent or to do it one time or five times but like eventually I feel like people have some kind of limit where they're like yeah this was great but like now the time that I'm putting in plus how much money I'm not getting plus how much uh, I don't feel appreciated or taken care of or whatever whatever the thing might be for them um, will drive them to just be like yeah I think I'm good. It does take time for you to realize kind of the economy of the whole thing because everyone is so different and because everything is so in flux. I think it took me like three years to realize how my money was flowing from actual performance and how much it was from just little side jobs I was doing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Rob, you were saying at the outset here that like uh, when artists are like, yeah, it's a black and white issue, it's a moral issue, artists should be paid, like that 
that frustrates you a little bit. It seems too simplistic. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, and Max is kind of hitting on it, and I think everybody is. Um, but it's not just the artist piece yeah. of it. It's also, like, the venue arguments drive me insane, too. Like, so what are those mm-hmm. like? The You know, like, so there's there's – for a while, like with UCB, one of the arguments was that like we'll have to value different shows differently, and that just seems like BS because there it's like you're giving one show a Friday at 8 p.m. You're giving another show a Tuesday at 10 p.m. Like you, uh, you already do value them differently, <laughs> right? I literally um, just did a Tuesday 10 p.m. show last <laughs> night <laughs> in front of one audience member. <laughs> <laughs> the the student who was volunteering at the front door and the other four performers. But you did the show. But you yeah. did the show. And it was a blast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would never expect to get paid for something like that. Right. Yeah, it's right. like a choice I made. Right. <laughs> um, another venue one that I that I don't like is like, oh, well, it would like kill the vibe or something, which is like uh, just oh, yeah, Anytime stupid. someone brings the word vibe. Can I concerned. actually read something to you from um, Matt Besser, UC- UCB co-founder? Please. Um, yeah, I know this argument. Yeah, well, so this is a quote from a New York Times piece. I think this is one by um, my colleague, Jason Zinneman. But he quoted Matt saying, there's a creative vibe at UCB, and to maintain it, we can't pay people. If you pay, then you have to assign worth to shows, and then people will resent that. Right. So, I mean, that's that's. Uh, I think so. To be fair, one, I I feel like that quote's at least a few years old, if yeah. not. Yeah, that's like twenty thirteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that that they've he specifically, and also they're four different human beings who don't all think the same thing. So, like, they're you know, and yeah, this you, is just one of the co-founders. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that argument drives me absolutely insane. Um, because it's just silly. The other the other one that drives me completely insane is the is like you flip it on the performer side and it's like, you know, well every everybody should get paid every time they go out and do a Tuesday at ten PM show for four people, three of whom are the other performers, right? <laughs> it's like no, you shouldn't. <laughs> like, no, like, y'all didn't bring anybody to that thing. Like, y'all didn't do the work of, like, that I think is on you to do when you are self-producing of you know, marketing a show and selling tickets to a show. Like, that's part of the job when you're self-producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 sorry, the real piece of it is that there are, there, there's, the gray area here is that, like, it's like, why do you do a Tuesday at 10 p.m. show? Is this going to advance your career? It's like, probably not. Is is it fun? Probably. Some, maybe. Um, are you trying to get stage time and experience? Like, that's usually the, the big answer, right? And so if you kind of looked at something, even just looking at UCB, it's like you could make a case where you said, okay, look, the shows that are happening in the theater – that is actually continuing education of their students, right? So a student comes in, pays 450 bucks a class, does the five classes, gets to audition for one of the house teams, 
And what's, you know, from UCB's perspective, they could say, now we're going to have a continuing education program where you perform for two years on stage and we actually don't charge you tuition for it. You know, you still might have to buy some props and costumes, a.k.a. textbooks, um, and get through it. But we're not going to charge you tuition and you're going to get two years of performing on stage experience, which you absolutely need to become a really good performer. Right. You could make that case. And that argument seems at least a little more thought out to me. Like, mm-hmm. We effectively have that situation. So when you mm-hmm. graduate through our classes, you're eligible to audition for one of our Wednesday night shows, Herald Night. Uh, and that's, you know, a one-year thing with an Endgames employed uh, director for that show. And, you know, the expectation is, like, do this show for a year and you'll have that under your belt. And those folks do pay into that as a part of like continuing education it's a class experience essentially right where uh you're not producing your own show you're not in charge of your own destiny in that regard and hopefully you are learning from someone that we trust as a a coach and teacher to continue that process but it's a weird blurry line right you know it's like i I don't know a hundred percent how i feel about it part of it is just pragmatically like we need to have money to keep that program going so people pay. It's a lot less than being in one of our classes. Right. Uh, you know, it's a significantly lower amount of money. But, like, where do you – how do you make that happen in, and, a, in a way that feels right? And where do you well, – like, where does the line go? Like, here, here's another one with something like, you know – so pint size I brought up earlier, and it's like we're paying somebody, you know, on a great day, 50 bucks for four performances and three show or three rehearsals or something like that, Right. Not nearly enough, right? Obviously, it's nowhere close to minimum wage, nowhere close to even like a, a decent stipend, like good stipend that like KML would do. And on the flip side of it is you don't have to take any classes to participate, right? Like you don't, there's no fee to submit like with Sketchfest. There's no, like anyone from the Bay Area could be a writer for a pint size if they send us a script and it, we like it and it's like, decent enough and there there are no prerequisites to that so it's like where does somebody who let's say you know 200 bucks to do an improv class somebody who doesn't have you know uh, uh, the cash to take a writing class it's like where can they get their script done besides self-producing it and there aren't a lot of vehicles for that and those vehicles should exist should they pay money for that uh, work that's being done, it's like, yes, I think so. At the same time, you know, capitalism and like <laughs> it's hard. Like it's, it's really, really hard. And so it is a little gray. Like, is this person a really good professional writer yet? It's like, no, but put them, give them a couple opportunities where their work gets done in front of an audience and like, mm-hmm. and they get paid something for it and they learn from it. And like that feels like a, decent enough kind of exchange between producer and artist to me. A friend of mine who was in the Czech Republic recently told me about how if you're working as an artist there, that's what you do. You're, you know, you have to get like a license or something like that. You have to get this whole thing approved. You have to go artist through Artist license. Yeah. I'm official. Yeah. <laughs> wow. like, I think specifically a performing artist. So the people who work mm-hmm. as performing artists in the Czech Republic work as that that alone. And what I said to that was like, does that limit 
people who maybe want to start working their way up, maybe, maybe don't have the chops just at the, right at the get-go and couldn't, can't get through that system that they've established. So in a sense there, they are paying everyone who is working as a performing artist, but everyone who wants to maybe be a performing artist is not getting an opportunity. Right. You know? So that's kind of a weird kind of... Yeah, and this is part of that gray area that I mean, like, it doesn't feel black and white and it doesn't feel absolute. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you actually think through a lot of these arguments, it's really wobbly, you know? The ground is not super sure. In a capitalist society, how do we find a way to talk about the value of, like, these performances, what an artist might get out of performing that's not about money. I think that's something you have to determine yourself as an artist. Like, I, if I'm going to walk into a thing, like, like, like say, a jam at End Games or something yeah. like that, and, like, I'm going here, am I going here to, you know, put my value as an artist out on the stage and have it be judged and be paid for it? No, I'm going here to, you know, hang out with some people and maybe get a little better at something that I wasn't very good at before, you know? Whereas if I'm walking into something like KML, I consider that a huge part of kind of my, like, professional development, and I'm getting paid for it and stuff. Those improv jams are such an interesting case in this, because it's like... It's like open mics. It's literally like an open mic, yeah. Yeah. It's a free opportunity to get on stage in front of other performers' almost exclusively. Very occasionally someone will wander in and watch. I wonder what that experience is like for them. Uh, <laughs> but like, in general, That's how it's... I got to know in games. Is oh, I just yeah. wandered into you. a jam and I was just like, oh, this is, some of this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a jam. That is, Who's this guy accurate. who can't stop talking about like Nike shoes <laughs> in every single bit that he's doing? And, and there's definitely worth in things like that and definitely worth in um, jams and all of that stuff. I think it's just... Again, going back to time, if you are showing up and doing a jam whenever you feel like it, maybe you go twice a month, maybe you Mm. whatever you like to do. Um, But if there's something else where you're expected to be there or do something over a longer period of time and then you have to really weigh out, like, am I saying no to other opportunities based on the fact that I'm going to come and do this thing where I'm not going to get paid or not, then things start to fall away or you Mm -hmm. go like, oh, maybe not for now. Like, maybe I'll take a break or I will only do this once every few months or something like that. But I think it's, you know, everyone's got their own choices to make about what they will or will not do for Mm -hmm. any particular amount of money because that's where we're at in this type of industry at the moment is you just have to make choices about that. And then on the other side, there are many choices to make about what you will or will not pay people or offer people pay for. I think having extremely clear expectations uh, for people, especially if they're not getting paid a lot, is incredibly important. And I think sometimes what happens is that in situations where people are not getting paid for their artistic work, no one is attempting to compensate for that by making it incredibly organized and (laughs) well-oiled and uh, easy to accomplish and that the rules are understood. Whereas I feel like if you're not going to pay someone, you better bring it with like the administrative side of what you're contributing to that relationship. Otherwise, it could be a total mess. And Mm. then then what have they learned, except that they don't want to come back here ever again? (laughs) Preach. (laughs) Preach. So what do you think it is 
that got the UCB performers upset enough to make a big deal out of this? Years of not being paid for... The time thing again, yeah. yeah. Well, but if they knew, right, going into it, if the expectations were clear... UCB is like a, a kind of unique case that is very, in some respects, similar and in some respects very different from, like, the people who are at this table. The reason being that they are one of the biggest comedy companies in the country. Sure. Just I mean, period. Amy Poehler is a co-founder. They helped launch the career of Kate McKinnon. Multiple venues, multiple cities. People, they yeah, have, many. you know, like... 12,000 students, I read. Uh, yeah, just like they're, they're, they're big business for comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite kind of what they may think or how they started or the ethos as being kind of an outsider coming. That's how they started, right? They started as an outsider going like, we don't like the way this thing's running. We're going to run it different, which I think is how a lot of like companies start. So despite that, they are now just this big thing, right? You know, they're a big company in multiple cities with touring acts. They do cor- tons of corporate work. They do video work. They do. There's just... They're a big company. So performers are like, I want a piece of that? I think, well, yeah, and they yeah. want to also be on that trajectory of the people that we yeah. were mentioning a minute ago. Yeah. Like, sure, I'd love to be Kate McKinnon. Sounds good. Sign me up. Another um, interesting thing about their performers is pretty much everybody on their stage and certainly on their house teams has fought hundreds of other people right. to audition just to get there. Mm-hmm. That the company themselves have, like, put a lot of value in those people in that sense to say, like, these are the best performers available mm-hmm. to us. And with the understanding, and um, I know this is part of the conversation. I can't remember any quotes or anything because I've been gobbling up all of these mm-hmm. articles about it, as I'm sure we all have, because it's like, you know, my nightmare to be in a situation like that. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Seth Simon, who's been covering all this for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of it is the either, you know, spoken or unspoken thing about, like, you could end up being on TV if you come and do these things, which, Mm -hmm. like, I don't necessarily think people think that when they're taking, you know, Endgame classes or KML classes or whatever. Some of them, that's certainly their goal long term, but they're coming here to train or warm up, get ready, like, get moving before they move into a larger market that has more opportunities for TV shows and films and things like that. Yeah. When the IO theater in LA was still there, uh, you know, I think that this like promise of something more, I always thought was the most ridiculous at that theater. Uh, it's no longer around. It was a great theater for many other reasons, but I always thought it was really funny that the you'd sit down to watch a show and on the TV screens in there, they would be playing these. Uh, slides of like all the famous people who took these classes. Mm. It's like, look, Tina Fey studied at the I.O. It's like... You could be her. (laughs) Yeah. That also in some ways is a good thing in terms of people's expectations, not, you know, coming in and going like, I'm the next insert name here. They might still think that, but they don't have the expectation on us that we're going to force them into that. So it, it makes... I don't know. It makes me have to look at what we're doing and try to decide what I feel like we're offering to people, whether that's students or artists who work with us or uh, whoever. Like, what are we offering? What's the value of that? How can I give you the most value for your time here? But the biggest issues in terms of this whole situation to me are, first of all, 
that everyone should recognize that this is not really a specific industry that's actually existed for very long. And so I don't <laughs> think anyone has nailed the model yet. And that shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. Like, it's not been around. There aren't that many companies who've, who've done this consistently over a long period of time. And so the fact that it's kind of got some real problems is like, yeah, of course it does. Growing pains. Exactly. It's an industry. Because yeah. when you start out some business like this at the beginning, you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, and you make a lot of choices that then years and years and decades down the road become very complicated to change. And the fact that I think the you know, the, I said this to someone recently, I can't even remember what it was for, but uh, the low prices of admission to these shows are in some ways a great thing because more people can afford to come to see them, and that's important. But on the other side, now you can never raise them beyond a certain point without people getting very upset because you've already established a history of having $5 shows. Sometimes even the performers we might be compensating are opposed to us raising the price. It was... New York Times news when UCB raised their prices yeah. from $5 weeknight, $10 weekend shows to $7 and $12. Like exactly. that, that increase made the news. For audiences, like that is what they see. They see your shows and they see the ticket prices and they uh, notice when things go up, even just $2 sometimes. So should audiences care about whether artists get paid? Um, yes. if, Our audiences yeah. care, yes. for sure. Yeah. I think, and they do in general. I think they absolutely do care. Um, I think the, the tricky thing is that this space that we occupy, um, which is kind of like grassroots, uh, very community-oriented – space has actually been invaded a little bit by companies like Live Nation and Golden Voice. And what I mean by that is that something like Cobbs, right, which used to be an independent venue, is not anymore. They have this kind of ability because they're these huge companies to send in kind of acts that like you've heard on the radio or like you've seen on a TV show, right? And into a the zone of like five five hundred seats or less, right? Which is kind of where we're all operating in for the most part. And so that that money that people were spending, hey, I want to go see a comedy show. Let's go see one that would you know typically be populated by you know some folks you never heard of can now be populated by some folks you have heard of because. You have much bigger companies with much bigger resources able to send acts all around the country at their venues specifically, right? Live Nation has God knows how many venues just in San Francisco. So I think audiences do care about, like, they want to pay for art. They want to pay for artists. They want to... Really? Uh, well, you know, well, that, not always because like it's like when you go to a bar and like there's a band and it's like oh that's a ten dollar cover people like lose their minds, at, at lose the end, their minds, and you're at, like you can't true. even get a I sandwich get for ten dollars. Like just get over <laughs> it. Like post post show every single performance that we do every single time we go out and yeah. have to do fundraising speeches right, and every single time I mention 
because I mean, there's like an art to giving fundraising speeches that I never thought I'd have to learn that I really pushed against that I hated, but that is so important. Uh, and I understand that now. And I also understand how people react to it and how they absorb it. That when I say in the speech, here are some things that you're helping if you choose to donate to us on your way out the door. And it's like, this is how much the venue costs per night. This is how much that costs, this program, et cetera. And then I say, like, everyone that you saw up here and everyone that you didn't see will be paid. And I list out all the people who will be paid. Uh, and usually that gets, like, a vocal reaction from people. Oh, and really? as they leave, they give us more money, even though they've already paid. You guys are giving me a much rosier view of human nature than I had <laughs> in here this morning. I'm so glad to know. Because, like, my experience is like, oh, it's too expensive. I don't want to pay for that. But I think you know. the most important thing that people can do in this capacity is talk about what is important or impactful about the things that you're doing. There's, like, no use to being... Uh, cool, chill guy about it and pretending no, like just it's art, just like you whatever, know. you know, I just like did it whatever. and I, it's just whatever, it's what I do, it comes out of me. Um, <laughs> it comes out It's of like, me. you know, it oozes from my jacket <laughs> sleeves. Uh, like, talk about why what you're doing is important and why you're doing it well enough for people to want to contribute more to it. And that's, and it's important that not only like the artists kind of talk and don't feel, you know, ashamed of talking about it, which again, this is why this I think is like important to talk about is like money and art are like weird things to they're you know, strange put together. They are, but they're bedfellows yeah. for sure. But yeah. we don't like talking about it because it's like nobody likes to talk about how much money they make, right? Unless it's they make so a awkward. shitload of money, right. in well, which case that's all they can talk about, you know. But like, <laughs> it's important for the artists to do it, and it's important, I think, for you know audiences too. Anybody who, audiences who are listening to this, it's like yeah, like when you pay forty bucks like to go see a local show or a 20 bucks to go show a local show or five bucks, whatever it is like that money goes to like incredibly important, extremely valuable organizations or people or artists or venue that are, that gets pumped into the ecosystem of what makes it a cool city to live in. Mm-hmm. Max, Rob, Allison, Phil, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me at the Chronicle today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Stephen Boyle. This show is produced by me. For more theater coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Lily Janik. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. 